Well, how did you all sleep last night? Short and laying down, I suppose. But uh, I tried my best. But I guess my body clock is still in Australia. So um, I didn't sleep too much. But it's an, my pleasure to be with you this morning. And uh, just out of curiosity, how many of you have your Bibles? Okay, good. I think uh, percentage-wise, we're doing better than last night. But uh, we're happy you're here anyway. Remember to bring your Bibles to these meetings. And uh, I believe the Lord has something to teach us. Well, this morning, the title of my message is Good and Faithful. It's sort of a meaningless subject, I suppose, unless you know what I'm talking about. We're going to be looking at several parables that Jesus told about servants. And looking at the stories, we're going to put them together, maybe in a way that we haven't seen them before, and perhaps we can gain something practical and beneficial to our personal Christianity today. So to begin, why don't you turn your Bibles with me to the first parable. It's found in Matthew chapter 18. And may we use this as the setting for the rest of the parables, the Lessons that we can glean out of this parable, I believe if we apply them to the other parables we're going to look at, we may get a little added blessing that we haven't received before. So Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven, therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought before him, which owed him ten thousand talents. For as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a three hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because you desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother from their trespasses. Familiar parable we've read and we've heard before. A man owed his Lord an incredible, and may I use the word impossible debt. He owed so much that even though he said, I will pay thee all, the Lord knew in his mind it's not possible. And aren't we all indebted to God in the same way? We owe God a debt. We 
have something we need to pay him. But it's something that we can never fully repay. We have sinned. And this debt of sin means that we cannot ever fully repay this debt to God. We owe God an impossible debt. And God, like this master, he recognizes the impossibility of the task. And he looks at us and he offers us freely the gift of forgiveness and salvation. And so we as this servant which owed 10,000 talents, we have been forgiven an impossible debt. With this thought in mind, I want to take us a few more steps. If we know that we have been forgiven so much, what would be our natural response? This servant in this story, even though he had been given this incredible gift of grace and mercy, he goes out to someone who owes him a couple bucks and will not let him off the hook and says, I'm going to throw you in jail just because you can't even pay back these few pennies. And of course, the obvious, direct, literal uh, application that Jesus wants us to understand is that we need to also forgive as we have been forgiven. But I want to think a little bit further. And that is, knowing that this man is a servant, he is in the service of this Lord, of this master who has forgiven him. How do you think he would go about his duties and his service after this encounter or after this experience with his Lord? Would he go through in his mind thinking, oh, I'm off the hook. Let me just kick back, just take it easy. Or will he, in his mind, almost subconsciously, I would think, for any normal human being, he would almost think, or, or without thinking, do more. Go above and beyond the call of duty, out of gratitude, out of the indebtedness to his Lord. There's this thing, there's a term in Chinese. The Chinese word is renting. And what that means is human relation or human compassion. It's this understanding between Chinese people that if somebody does something good for you, you have to do something good back to them. I mean, I think it applies to all cultures, but Chinese, we have a, a term and it's a very big deal. If somebody invites you over to their home for a meal, you are required by the duty of culture to invite them back or to repay them in some way. If some man forgives you, you are now indebted to that person to do something good for them. And during Chinese New Year, we give these little red envelopes with money inside. It's my favorite time of year. But if you receive an envelope a red envelope from such as auntie and uncle so-and-so, automatically my parents are now required, bound by their culture, to give their kids a red envelope too, even if they didn't intend to before. And I think that this type of mentality is common throughout cultures and humanity. And doesn't it make sense 
to have this natural desire to do something back for the person who had done something good for us. Now, let's put this in the context of God. God had forgiven us something that we could have never repaid. Something that would have costed us our eternal life. How do we relate to God? Do we possess this Chinese culturism called Ren Qing? Are we, do we look at God and what He's done for us in the grateful perspective? Or are we just living life as though, oh great, He'll forgive me again because He's forgiven me before. So from, with this concept in mind, with this idea in mind that God had forgiven us so much and now our natural response as His servants, as His followers would be to serve Him more, more wholeheartedly. With that in mind, turn your Bibles with me to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, and we're going to look at another parable about servants. We'll begin reading in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made him other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants comes and reckons with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went, and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there that thou hast, that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and that at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which had ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he has. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A familiar passage to all of us, a familiar story about the three servants who received talents. Now, drawing the connection between the two stories we've read so far. 
this principle that God is a God of forgiveness and that he forgives his servants applies to all his servants, right? So practically speaking, all three of his servants, realistically, when applied, they all have been forgiven the 10,000 talent debt. And what does the master do? Instead of saying, forget it, I'm never entrusting you with my money again. I'm never going to let you close to one penny of my wealth. Go work in the janitorial, janitorial department. Instead of saying that, God says, look, I'm going to give you talent. And I want you to do something with them. I want you to improve them, to invest them. Now tell me, how would you think, how would you feel if your Lord, if your master entrusted you with his wealth after you owed him 10,000 talents and he forgave you the debt? What would be the natural inclination? What would be a response to what you are going to do with the talents you've been given? I'll tell you how I would feel. I want to do my very best. I want to give as much back to the Lord as I can because I'm indebted to Him no matter what it is that I may have been forgiven. I still owe Him that duty to do something in return. And in the parallel passage in Luke, the command is given. It's actually in Luke the story is slightly different. They use slightly different terminology, but it's found in Luke chapter 19. The master tells his servants to occupy till he comes. Occupy till I come. That's an interesting thought. And combining that with what it says here in Matthew 25. Matthew 25 and verse 19. The very first few verses, uh, the first few words in this verse says, After a long time, the Lord of those servants comes. So what this tells me is that the Lord gives his servants his talents or his money, his wealth. And he tells them to occupy or to work diligently until I come back. But the Bible tells us that the Lord takes a long time. And we know this parable is found in Matthew 24 and 25, which is Jesus' discourse about the end of time. And so this parable particularly has end time significance. God gives his people, his servants, these, this thing called talents. And he says, occupy or improve, invest them, work, occupy till I come. And the Bible tells us it takes him a long time. Sometimes we wonder, is Jesus really coming soon? Why is it that we've been preaching as a denomination since 1844 that Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, but yet he's not here? Well, the Bible tells us that seemingly there appears to be a moment, a period of time of waiting. And that's the time that we are living in. And so the question when we look in this parable for ourselves is what are we doing? Are we occupying till Jesus comes? And today, I just want to spend a few moments thinking about these talents. 
a few of these talents that God has given to each one of us. Knowing now that we have been forgiven, each one, a debt that is impossible for each one of us to pay. And the natural response of our heart should be a desire to do our very best with what God has entrusted to us. The next question is, what are these things that God has given to us to invest, to improve? What are these things? Interestingly enough, the word in Matthew used for the money or the wealth that God gives to his people is the word talents. It's exactly the word that we use for talents. And so applying this idea, God has given us each talents or abilities or gifts. We sometimes limit our scope of God's talents to us as just our spiritual gifts or our peculiar particular abilities. Some of us may be gifted in music. Some of us are gifted in, you know, working with our hands. Some of us are gifted with incredible intellectual ability. We do well in school. We're able to to get high grades and to solve problems. Some of us may be public speakers. Some of us may have other gifts in other areas. Maybe it's audiovisual or computer work or something like that. And we think this is my special ability, my special gift, and I need to use this for the Lord. And that's exactly right. You do. But I want to take us beyond these peculiar gifts that each one of us possess. And I want to look at gifts that each one of us possess. Because the fact is, all of the servants receive at least one talent. That means each one of us have gifts. Often, we feel as though we have nothing to offer. That person can speak. That person can sing. That person can play the piano so well, but I have nothing to offer. But is that true? If the Lord has given each one of us talents, what are some talents that each one of us possess. In the last few minutes before we break for breakfast, I just want to go through several talents that every single individual in this room possess. And then I want to ask you, what are you doing with these gifts that God has given you? First talent. God has given each one of us the ability to think. All of us have the mental ability. You may be sitting in this room. You may think, I'm dumb. I can't do well in school. But the fact that you are hearing and understanding what I'm saying, and that it's going through your cognitive processes and lodging somewhere in your memory, and it's making some impact in your life, means that you can think. So what are you doing with your brain? You know, the obvious implications is what are we putting in our brain? What do we spend our energy filling our minds with? What does our minds think about the majority of the time? How are we improving this ability to think? You know, I think that God is interested not so much in what we think about as much as 
how we think. In about the year 2003, I was in the country of China. And it just so happened that it was at the time when the war in Iraq broke out and this disease called SARS broke out. And it's very interesting because I would watch the news in China and then I would hear what the news would be back home in the U.S. And do you realize that the news in China is very different than the news in the U.S.? Same event, but very different conclusions. And you know what I have to realize? I have to realize the television, even the, the news broadcasts, cannot be my source of truth. I have to figure out what I understand, what I believe, what I think on my own. I have to think through things. You can't just watch the TV and believe everything that they say anymore. Probably wasn't wise to do that at any time. But may I suggest that the, the more we fill our minds with the television, with the video games, with the novels and the magazines and all of these things of the world, we are dumbing down our mental capabilities. We are not developing this gift of thought that God has given to us. What are we doing with our mental abilities, our gift of thinking? Each of us have that gift. What about another gift? I like to call it the gift of communication. Some call it the gift of words or speech. But communication to me is one of the most magnificent things. How often do you see animals sitting down communicating like humans do? They may communicate in the ways of the basic needs of life, move over, give me that, that's mine. You know, they can communicate those things non-verbally. But the verbal communication that man has been gifted with, for example, right now, I am communicating ideas to you that could effectively cause changes in your behavior, in the way you think, in the way you live. How often do you see animals sitting in gatherings, listening to one creature speak, and then after that, all of the animals make re reformation in their own lives? You don't see that happening. And how often, or have you opened your mailbox, or maybe more pertinent, your email box, and you see an email from a very dear friend, someone that you love and cherish and someone who's dear to your heart, and you read the encouraging words that they write to you, and how do you feel? Words have power. Power to build, power to create, power to tear down and destroy. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. Is that true? I can testify in my own life that the things that hurt the most are words. The pen is mightier than the sword. When you see the most powerful men in the earth, they are not the men who are the strongest physically. They are not the men with the most wealth even. They are usually the men who have an incredible ability to communicate to transmit their thoughts and ideas to someone else. 
and the ability to create within them a desire to follow and to do what they do. So what are you doing with your communication? Are you using your words, your, even your nonverbal communication to build up or to tear down? It's a gift. And it's an incredible gift. Just think about it. What are we doing with that gift? I want to think now about another gift that each one of us possess. And this is an interesting one. You can, we can speak a whole weekend just talking about it. It's called the gift of influence. Do you know that each one of us right now in this room are influencing every other person in this room? Around each one of us, there is this bubble called a sphere of influence. And within the sphere of influence, and this sphere of influence may be very small, or it may be very large. But each one of us have this sphere around us. And there, are, there is a charge. It's like electricity around us. And it can be positive, or it can be negative. And without speaking a word, without without saying anything, without doing anything, just by sitting in this room, your influence can tend to lift someone up or tear them down. I'm not sure how this happens, but it does. Have you ever lived in a... I don't know how many of you have ever lived in a dorm situation, but I have. And I lived in an academy and also in college now where we live in dorms. And I realize that sometimes when you live in such close proximity, things happen very quickly. For example, particularly I notice among the ladies, when something bad happens to a girl, some, you know, maybe, you know, something bad happened at home. Almost instantaneously, all the girls somehow feel it. And all of a sudden, the girls all mirror that same feeling or the emotion that goes through that situation. It's almost like someone says, oh, something bad happened at home. All of a sudden, all the girls are walking around just down because their friend now is hurting. How does that happen? Sure, I think girls talk more. But besides that, there is an influence that pervades through the campus, through the students. It's it's inevitable. We are surrounded by a sphere of influence. And what we do to charge that sphere is up to us, whether it's a positive or if it's a negative charge. And continuing on this vein of influence, just recently I was talking with a few friends. And they are leaders of a youth group. And they were struggling with a few issues. Particularly, I'll tell you, it's the issue of dress. And some of these leaders, they were not sure if, you know, what they should do. They were leaders of this youth group, but they decided that they were going to not dress, even though the particular items of clothing they were thinking are not wrong. They're questionable, but they're not wrong. The fact that they are in a leadership position... They recognize that they are responsible for being an influence for those who are looking up to them. 
And even though there's nothing morally wrong with what they were doing, they decided to take the higher road. They decided to do what was best. Not so they can go to heaven, no. But so that they would have a positive influence on those around them. So you know, sometimes doing what's right or wrong, we can't just simply think about ourselves. We can't just simply think about, well, it's okay. It's not wrong. But wait, what is the result going to be for those around us? What is the influence going to be on those who are sitting next to us? Those who are looking up to us? And the fact is, each one of us has influence, whether we like it or not. And what we do with that influence is up to us. What about another gift? This particular gift I think of is something that we all have the same amount of. We all have 24 hours every day, seven days in a week. What do we do with our time? And may I just suggest this little simple gauge. Take an inventory of how you spend your time for one day or one week and do a little calculation, a little estimation. What do I spend the most amount of time doing? And that would tell you a lot about yourself. I've done that, and often I have been appalled at how I have wasted time doing things that are meaningless, worthless, spending my time on things that will not help me or anyone else in the long run. Time. I'll let you think about that. But a couple other gifts, perhaps in closing. What about the gift of our energy? our strength, our health. I'm speaking, I know, to young people. And this is something that I know that I often have not seriously considered. You know, we're still young. We don't have the aches and pains and sicknesses that perhaps some other people do. But, you know, we have to recognize that this is a gift. And it's not just a time for us to squander doing what we want. There are things that we can do with our energy, with our strength, with our health that, we, that other people cannot do. God has given us two arms at work, two legs at work, a body that can stand up straight and run and walk and climb and fly for a reason. How are we improving our ability of health and our strength? You know, some people, they spend all of their health to gain their wealth. But then they get sick, and they get old, and they spend all of their wealth trying to get back their health. That's not the way to live. That's not the way to live. God has given us the gift that is worth more than simple gold and silver. He has given us strength and health that we can improve now in the service of God. And also, the story of the talents literally is dealing with money. And that, believe it or not, is a talent that we each have been given. You may think, I'm not Bill Gates. I'm not like the people downstairs here at ASI. I'm just a kid. I don't have money. But you know the widow went to the temple with two mites. And we each, I believe, have two mites. At least. 
And another gauge. Recently, I had to face the shocking reality when I had to apply this to myself. On what do I spend the majority of my money? Is it on things that edify, and build, and help in the cause of God and helping other people, or do I spend more money on myself? You know, I'm a lot like many of you, perhaps, but as I'm a lot like many young people in in this generation, I like toys. I love gadgets. And those type of things, and it's easy for me to save up and put money in my piggy bank, in quotes, for that new computer, for that new MP3 player, for that new camera. But how much money have I put in the mission of God? How much money have I gone? Have I given to help the poor, to help the gospel go to the world? And you know if. I realize if I do not develop the habit of giving to God now, when God does bless me with a regular job, with more money, I'm not going to be in the habit of giving then. So what are we doing with the talents God has given us? The literal money that God has given us. These are just a few talents that we've talked about. Something that we all possess: the mental ability, the ability to think. The ability to communicate, influence, time, health and energy and strength, and our own financial resources. What are we doing as servants who have been forgiven an impossible debt? Are we living our lives simply for ourselves again, racking up another debt that we can't repay, or are we doing our very best to do? For God, because He has done so much for us, we are unprofitable servants. In closing, let's just look at that passage where it tells us that Luke chapter seven, and this is a final principle to keep in mind. Luke chapter seven and verse seven. Excuse me. I believe is chapter seventeen. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by when he is come from the field, Go and sit down to meat? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did the things which were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise, ye, when ye have done all those things which are commanded you, say, "We are unprofitable servants; we have done that which was our duty to do." Just with this thought in mind, sometimes we think it's a sacrifice to do what God asks us to do. Oh, to spend my time for God, to spend my energy for God. God, don't you? Aren't you grateful for what I'm doing for you? No, no, no. Lord, I'm so grateful for what you have done for me that I'm willing to do whatever you want me to, because you have forgiven me, and it's my duty to do what you have asked me to do. So, what are we doing to improve our talents today? 
That's the question. And may the Lord bless us as we continue to live lives as young people willing to be servants of God. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for forgiving us our sins, for giving us another chance. And Lord, we know that we do not deserve it and that there's nothing we can ever do to fully repay for what you have done and what you have given to us. Well, Lord, we know that yet we are erring Christians and erring mortals. You have given us talents to improve, opportunities to use the gifts you've given to us for your service. So help us to look at our lives not as simply pleasing to ourselves anymore, but that we may do all to your name's glory and honor, that we may be good and faithful servants. Lord, bless us this day as we work for you. American Cassette Ministries is pleased to provide you with this presentation from the 2006 ASI International Convention held in Grapevine, Texas. Thousands of laity and leadership gathered together for this 59th annual convention to provide challenge, nurture, and experience in sharing Christ in the marketplace. This is a digital recording for optimum sound quality. International Copyright 2006 American Cassette Ministries. For the largest selection of authentic, genuine Adventist preaching available, visit our secure website at www.americancassette.org. Our latest catalog is online, plus thousands of other selections to choose from. We accept MasterCard, Visa, and Discover credit cards. You will find there is no compromise here at ACM. We've been maintaining the integrity of the Three Angels' messages since 1975. We request your prayers and continued tax-deductible financial support for this 501c3 nonprofit ministry so that we can continue helping prepare you and your loved ones to meet Jesus Christ. He's coming soon.